Okay. Well, I'm going to deviate a little bit from the material that I originally signed up for, but it's going to all be in the concept of how should the church spend its money. We're going to talk about institutionalism. Yeah, that's going to be a large part of the study. But I did want to actually bring it out a little bit more than just what happened with institutions and how, how they got created. Um, so tonight I'd like us for us to study just the concept. Tonight, just to let you know the plan, tonight I want to talk more about the principles behind it. The principles behind how the church should spend its money. The principles that should drive us. And then, Lord willing, on Sunday morning, we're going to go into and spend a lot more time talking about some of the issues that have come up and actually opening the floor to issues that we may see in the future because I dare say the issues we've already dealt with in the past will not come up again. They may come up in a different form, but there will be more, there are more issues in the future that we will all deal with with how the church should spend its money. And it's going to take on a different form. And so that's kind of where we want to spend our time. But I want us to begin a little bit tonight with a warning. I want to begin with a couple of warnings. When I ask you the book of Hosea, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Unfaithfulness on the part of Israel. Israel's unfaithfulness, very, very much so. And I find it very interesting that in the, about chapter 4, God comes out and says, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Not because they couldn't have it, but because they had rejected knowledge. And he said, because of that, speaking of the priest, I'll also reject you from being priest um, for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Along those same lines, Paul says of those in Israel, of the Jews that was in the time of the first century church, he said, I wish that all of Israel would be saved. But, he said, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge. Some might say that as long as sincerity is the thing that rules, that all is okay. But I say that, that Paul quickly recognized their zeal for God. They had a zeal for God, but it wasn't according to knowledge. And that is what our first warning should be. What we do, whether it's how we spend in spending the Lord's money or anything else we study this quarter, Lack of knowledge is not an excuse. That's what we have, and that's why we're going through this study. The second warning. How many of us, and this could also be something to be a warning for the entire quarter, have somewhere in our nature the desire and the excitement to debate and to prove you're right about something? Eric's not here, but Eric and I grew up doing it. We could argue all day long over something. Something's good, something's dangerous. And then we set out to prove it. But there's a lot of us that have that natural tendency to want to get in a fight or an argument and contend with someone. And more than just the truth be known, it becomes a part of making sure that I'm right. I'm winning this argument. And even though this passage out of Second Timothy or out of First Timothy chapter six, it is to the false teacher. Okay? It's speaking, it's condemning a false teacher. But there is a characteristic of the false teacher that I think we all need to be careful of when it comes to any kind of controversial topic or any topic that we might want to sit down and discuss with our friends, our neighbors. And that is someone who could become obsessed with the disputes over arguments, uh, with disputes and arguments over words, which from which will come envy, strife, rub, reviling, evil suspicions, and the list goes on into the next verses. So the first warning 
is knowledge. We need to have that knowledge. We need to be careful to develop that knowledge. And second is let's not let it become about the debates. You know, when reading some of the books of some of the debates that went on in the 50s and the 60s, some of the great men had some great things to say. But if the tone that I've read through those words was the tone that was used in some of those debates as they interchange, if they exchange words with each other, I'm scared that we almost went too far in the way of trying to win the debate with our tone and our attitude for people. So I think we need to consider, and this leads us into the third thing that I want us to talk about for just a moment and we'll go into the lesson. Before we can be ready on any topic, before we can be ready to discuss the issues with someone, someone's era on any topic, I would beg you to first listen well enough that you can repeat their views on the topic and then say, yes, that's it. Yes, I agree. Because until you've listened well enough, how many of us also, and I'll ask the question again, how many of us are guilty as soon as someone starts talking, you immediately start formulating your next statement? Well, a lot of times, yeah. And if I ask for a show of hands, if anyone's ever done it, I think everybody's hand will go up. And if it's natural for people, we have to be careful of this. First, listen. And make sure you know what the person is saying to you well enough. Because from the, someone from the outside looking in, there's not much more frustrating than to have someone come back and, and go for a 15-minute argument over something you said, and you go, that's not even close to what I'm talking about. And we can do it. So I think those three warnings would be safe, for a, safe and good for just dealing with people for us to heed. And also, just, you know, to, if when we go to correct, what's our attitude when we go to correct someone? How should we approach it? With what? Meekness. With meekness. And what else? Humility. With humility. Yep, and with meekness and fear. Love, love for them. Love for them. So, I think if we'll keep these things in mind, I think we'll go very far in having a good conversation with someone who in the end, I think the results will be a lot better. <coughs> so, when we said one of the things we talked about was ignorance, I dare say that if you was to talk to someone in the denominational world, I'd be in the 95 plus percent sure that they've never thought about it. You ask them why the church that they attend spends the money the way they do? And, I'm, and some of the institution, institutional brethren in this area, some of the churches around here that have gone in and, and taken on social activities that have built um, gymnasiums and that kind of thing, you ask at least their young adults and their kids, they've never thought about it before. So that's part of what we're here about tonight, to make sure we thought about it and to make sure we search the Scripture out. So let's first begin by asking the question, and as I hope we would always do, going to the Scriptures to get the answer, <coughs> how does the church go about getting funds? First, we have a lot of Scripture to read, so I'll put several on the board, but they're, they're up here if you want to turn to them. First is 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the first verse to set the stone, the, the stone, to set the tone for the passage. Now concerning the ministry of the saints, it's explicit that for me to write to you. And then skipping down to verse 6, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. 
So let each one give as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So what are some things that we can learn about contribution there? First, how's the amount, what amount is set for us? There's not an amount. As each has purposed in his heart. Now, what about the attitude? Cheerful. Cheerful. Not grudging, but cheerful. For God loves the cheerful giver. Not this, I have to do it. Not of necessity, this is something I have to do. But something that I want to do. And we'll, we see that shown out in the first century um, and in the, the first Christians in the book of Acts. And also a very popular passage on this topic, 1 Corinthians 16, chapter the first two verses, all quoted. Now concerning the collection of the saints, I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so, must you, um, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing as he may uh, prosper, that there be no collection when I come. So once again, we see the point on the first day of the week when they come together, they were to lay something back. Take something that they had the purpose that we've already looked about before and lay that back, storing up as he may prosper. Tracy? Yes? Can't we say that this passage was given more as a convenience than anything because when they would come through the countryside to that point, they would have to go and see these people and get the money to do that. And they found out that this would be a more convenient way for Christians to give. And if you go back to the point that's made, uh, let's see, the very last phrase there, that there be no collection when I come. Right. So they didn't have time to do that. Yes, it was something. But I also think it sets a pattern for us. Yes, it did. It is a pattern that we can follow the exact same pattern. And this was a special circumstance. What was the circumstance of 1 Corinthians uh, 16? What was the purpose of taking this up anyway? Christians in Judea was suffering. Yeah, exactly. This was yeah. This was relief. This isn't even the collection that that Paul talks about that was given to him for you know for the preaching of the gospel. This is a collection <laughs> from the saints. But yes, so you're right. This was a way that was chosen, but it is definitely a pattern um, that is set aside for us to follow. Okay. Um, some other things that we saw. That happened, and we're going to look at a few verses along those lines as well. And so in Acts chapter two, all these people had come together and probably had stayed longer in Jerusalem than they had first planned. Now it said that all the believers, when they had come together, they had all things in common, and those that had possessions, they sold their possessions and their goods, and they parted them to all men as every man had need. So what do we have? We have people that there's some that's here traveling, or there's some that's here in need, and others that have possessions. What are they doing? That's right. They're going out and they're selling those. They're they're selling them and they're taking the proceeds and bringing them back. Um, and this is almost men to men. But then a few a few chapters later, in chapter four, now there was many. There was nor was there any among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of these things that were sold. So we've seen some things here. And one more here. Um, here, the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Jerusalem. Once again, there was that need in Jerusalem. There was the group here that decided 
They wanted to do it. So according to their ability, they sent need. And this may not be a collection of all of the verses on this topic, but it is a pretty good collection. And the point we're trying to make is, how did they go about getting the money or collecting the funds that they did their work with? But now, in Romans chapter 15, verses 25 and 26, once again, Paul is talking about the same type of relief. But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make certain contributions for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. So over and over and over again, we saw it work out. Either a contribution was taken up, or people who had possessions would go out and sell those possessions and take the proceeds from those and lay them um, and bring them so that they could be parted among those that, that had needs. Now, we've asked that question. What about these ways? No authority for There's no authority for them. What's lacking? It's scriptures that's lacking. Now, how many of us have seen these things used? I find it very interesting. It was kind of sad. I was, I was pretty young. And as a member of a, a fairly well-known denomination, I, I, I saw neighboring churches doing some of these kind of things, whether it was car washes so that the youth could go do something, or a bake sale or a yard sale. And I'm pretty sure it's probably gotten more extravagant than that these days. But I can remember going and having an opportunity to ask some of the leadership and saying, can we do this? You know, there are some things we'd like to go, some cool places we'd like to go to here as kids. Can we do some of this? And when I was given no as an answer, that was the positive thing. But the, the negative side was that it wasn't in it wasn't in that church's bylaws to do that. So I got a good answer, but for a wrong reason. But I think that goes back to the concept of knowledge. There was no one there that could tell me why a car wash wasn't a proper way to, to gain money for the church to do. Now, for me to go out and say I'm going to wash cars, or for me to go out and sell all of my, you know, a yard sale being going and selling possessions, for me to do that and bring the proceeds is one thing. But for the church to busy itself, do we have any scripture? Do we have any precedents? For the church busy itself, organizing and carrying these things out in order for the work to be carried on? No. I mean, if it is, please show it to me. Um. All we have is individuals raising those funds and bringing them in. And the important thing going back to our first point is what's missing is the Scriptures. It's missing authority. Now, just a few things about authority because we can't look at any of these topics we're discussing this quarter without talking about it. 2 Timothy chapter two or chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 is one that I'm sure that we can all quote. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And it's profitable for some things. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped, or complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So if there's any good work that we want to set out to do, if we keep it to the Scriptures, I think we will do well. Also, in Second John chapter 9, this also speaking of those who are teaching error, those who are false, teaching false doctrine, but it's speaking whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. And he who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. And then lastly, in Colossians chapter 3, 
in verse 17. We know chapter six, verses 16 and 17 well. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now, I use this example a lot. Um, Catherine probably heard it before. But if I'm running up behind Greg Steele here and I'm chasing him down and he's running from me and I'm screaming out the top of my lungs, stop the name of Tracy Warriors. As soon as he gets up from laughing in the floor, what's he going to do? He's just going to keep going. Why? My name carries no authority. But at the same time, if I have a badge and have the implements of the law and I say stop in the name of the law, what might he do in that case? He might stop. What's the difference? The law carries with it authority. The name Trace Moyers carries with it nothing. The name, the name of the law carries with it authority. So let me ask, if we can't find where the Lord says it, if we can't find Scripture for this, how can we do something in its authority? I think that's a question, whether it be for the spending of the money or for anything else we may discuss. If we can't find it, where the Lord has given us authority for it, can we say we're doing it in His name? We may say, as it is very popular among me to say, I can't see where he would disagree with that. I can't see, once again, the pronoun I, can't see where God would approve or disapprove of this, therefore it's okay. That's a dangerous thing. But if I can't find where the Lord says it, I cannot do it in his name. So now let's actually start talking about some things that the church is instructed to do. If the church is instructed to do it, would you agree that if funds was needed for that activity to be carried out, it would be okay for the church to, to spend the funds for that activity? One of the things that we're told to do as Christians is a symbol. One of the things saints are told to do is a symbol. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the matter of its own, but exhorting one another, and so much more is the day, um, as you see the day approaching. So once again, this coming together. What are some things that have been done here to facilitate that coming together? A building. Physical land for everybody knows where to come. A building where somebody can come together and be inside, outside of the weather. The facilities that's needed quite literally, for bringing 280 people or how many other people together for a period of time. What's the purpose? The purpose is coming is assembling so that we can exhort one another and we can build each other up. We can do the other acts of worship. But these things are brought together and money is spent in order that this command to assemble might be fulfilled. Also, we're commanded to observe the Lord's Supper. Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, one, one, also all quoted, all quoted passage. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to part um, the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. They come together to break bread. We turn to 1 Corinthians 11. We can turn to other places. But once again, if we were commanded to come together, and the command was to break bread, so in order to do that, we need some things. We need a table. And these are things that we all know. We need a table. We need serving bread. Uh, serving trays. We need the juice. We need the bread. And we ask the question, and if we're studying with someone, this may sound somewhat childish in some ways to us, but many times one of the things I want to stress is when you're studying the topic with someone else, 
This may not be childish to them. This may be the first time they've ever heard these concepts. So to hear you say, I'm commanded to observe the Lord's Supper, and because I'm commanded to observe the Lord's Supper, I'll spend money on these things, versus, well, we just buy those things. To be able to get the answer as to why um, that the money is spent that way, for someone from the outside, can go a long way. Once again, we're commanded to sing. Two other verses that we can quote often. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart with the Lord. Now what are some expenses that this church, or any church, might entail for this? Maps, charts, Mm-hmm. Psalm books. I thought I saw somebody else's hand go up. One of the things I think I bring up an interesting point here. What else? Have, what else have we got up here? Paperless hymnals. One of the reasons I ask this question is that this is more of when I say, "What are the things that are the future that I think we we've got to look at for spending money?" One of the things that you know, I'm one of those techno nerds. I love the new geeky tools that come out. I mean, that, that's just the things I enjoy. So as that kind of person, I see this new technology come out and I immediately go, oh, that's really cool. I wish, I, I bet we could use it like this and like this. Do I still need to ask myself these same questions that we're talking about here? Do I need to ask myself? Well, when we ask the question about paperless hymnal, what's the purpose of your songbook? Keep everybody together. To keep everybody singing the same thing, doing the same thing, so our worship is orderly. Does paperless hymnal? Is it the same thing? And I would say it is. It's the same thing that we do with our paper books. And but this question can be, you know, the reason I bring this in is once again to say that every time I think of the new cool thing that's coming out, I need to stop and think. Yeah, this might be cool. This might be good. But is this somewhere, is this something that the Lord's money should be spent on? And there's going to be a lot of times that the answer to that question may very well be no. And those are things that we need to steer clear of. So by beginning the command to sing, things can be purchased in order to make that happen. We're also told to exhort, to pray, to preach, and to teach. I couldn't personally think of anything other than people and, and the things that are in your mind for prayer. I don't think there's anything outside that needs to be purchased for that. But we are commanded in Hebrews 25, once again, to exhort one another, the coming together to exhort one another, the assembly. Christ? Yes? Uh, excuse me for interrupting, yeah. but on that praying there, if you can't hear what the leader is saying, uh, you can't pray with him. So I think it, uh, we do have some uh, things with the facilitate the A system. I, I had that with teaching, but you're right. I, I just didn't think about it with praying, but you're absolutely correct. Um, it also applied to the uh, um, leaving the scene, you know, to, uh, so everybody is on the same page. Everybody can sit and see and hear. And even all the way, and it may sound petty, but even all the way, and I don't think I have it listed below, I'll put it up, but even to the podium. You know, why is that part of the stage raised? Once again, if you're leading songs, so that that person can, you know, everybody's standing, that person can be seen. 
once again, you know, not some arbitrary to put somebody on a pedestal up there, um, but once again, it should have that, that concept of bringing together that practical purpose of, uh, of you know, something. But you're absolutely right. If it comes to bring the sound system, the PA system, things to broadcast that out so that everybody can hear, because if they can't hear, they can't join in. And they can't, it can't be their prayer and they can't say their amen at the end. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, we see that Paul preached. And there, there are several. Um, we can look in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And if you would, go ahead, I'll say a few more things. We turn to 1 Corinthians 14th chapter. Um, in Acts chapter 20 there, while you're turning there, in, um, in Acts chapter 20 we see both here in verse 7 where they were gathered together in the upper room. Paul preached until midnight while they were gathered together. And then down in verse 20 he goes on to speak that he preached publicly <coughs> and privately from house to house, but Paul also preached publicly to them. But when you think of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, or chapters even 12, 13, and 14, what's the general concept that's going on in those chapters? Spiritual gifts. Going back to chapter 11, those things are going on in the assembly. And what are some of the major points that are going on about those spiritual gifts? Not the spiritual gifts themselves, but what is one of the major focuses of these chapters? Just regulating. What's that? Regulating. Regulating them. One more time. Orderliness. Exactly the same thing. You know, the orderliness of doing it. Not everybody out speaking at the same time. Regulating the way these things could be done. Um, not tonight's topic, but showing that those things, even the spiritual gifts, could be controlled. One not uh, allowing them to think of one gift as being more important than another. People being lifted up because they were able to uh, speak in tongues as opposed to some other gift. Exactly. Not not rating one gift above the other, but to consider all men um, equal in their gift being to the praise of God. And then in verse 26, in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, How then is it, brethren, when every one of you come together, each of you has a song, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation, let all things be done for edification. So this whole coming together... You know, they all have these gifts, but if it couldn't be done for edification, they weren't even to use them. They were to keep silent. They were to, to go on. But this coming together, and we can go to plenty of other places, but these are some good, you know, some places that well prove the point that they did come together. And we spend money on, you know, teaching one another. That's what we're doing right now. This building here that has classrooms divided up. Um, the materials. Now, once again, there's not material that was published for this class, and but there can be materials public. We, we do tracks all the time, put out there for the public to come in and get to read. Um, and then, you know, and the idea of teaching, once again, go back to the, techni- you know, the technical nerd side. The thing of what are the new ways that you can communicate with people? And once again, that's where I have to start asking my question. You've got the web. You can communicate with a lot of people. I mean, we send up many correspondence courses to every, country, to every country and every continent around that is you know, brought about because some of these other technologies allow us to reach out beyond our current borders that we've had before. Okay. And we have the contribution. We've already looked at this, but once again, just the fact of the collecting, I think there are some other things we can put in there, but the collecting of it, the, the bank, 
you know, the things for storing it up, the things for just doing the thing, doing the work that the church here has set out to do that goes along with the contribution. These aren't all the things that, and we've got a couple more to look at. But the point that I think if you're studying with someone or thinking about for the first time, let it set in that everything you do, there is a purpose for. You know, I've often asked young people to take time the next time they go through service, write down everything they see happen. And if they can't go home that day and write down in Scripture for everything they saw happen, they need to go study until they can. Or they need to talk to the leadership of that particular place where they are to ensure that those things that are going on can be found. The same thing with where you see the, you know, the elders. We have great men leading this congregation. But when we see the way the money is spent, can we do the same thing? You know, can we go back and can we see that the way the money is being spent are the things that we've seen here tonight or things we're going to look at? One of the other things that we can spend a lot of time on is that of supporting preachers. No better example than that of Paul. And one of the reasons, just as a, another note here, one of the reasons I've got so many of the scriptures here, if anybody wants this PowerPoint, I'll be glad to give it to you. But if somebody wants to use this to read and go through, I've tried to do as much of it inside the PowerPoint where you can have it almost as a handout. But when he says, when Paul says in verse uh, in 2 Corinthians 11, 8, and 9, I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. When I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. When he's speaking to the Corinthians, what is, what's happening? What's going on here? Now the church in heaven supporting. That's right. His support is not coming from the church here at Corinth, is it? His support in this case is coming from those that are in Macedonia, are sending from him. And when he says that phrase, I robbed other churches. In other words, I'm taking my wages from other churches so that I can be here with you. So why do we send our money overseas? Why do we send our money to these men that are out there preaching? Where's the scriptures? We're looking at them. And help everyone, you know, help everyone who would have this question to see. And in Philippians, Paul is writing to the Philippians. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. He's talking about this fellowship that they've had with him in the gospel. And skipping down to four, chapter 4, uh, 10 through 18, I didn't put it all up here, but I want us to focus in on verses 14 um, through 16. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know that also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even now in Thessalonica, you sit once and again for my necessities. So who was the first church we saw that was sending support to me? Church from Macedonia. From Macedonia. Now, um, here, who is it? Who else are we picking up? Thessalonians. Yes, the uh, for even Thessalonica, even for in Thessalonica, you said aid once again. But who's he talking back to? The Philippi. Yeah, but I mean it all comes around. So once again. Here's one man, and where is he getting his support now? Is it all coming from Macedonia? No. In this case, you have, whether it's the same time or at different times, you have his support coming from multiple locations. Once again, it may sound like a small detail. It may sound 
Katie, but I think in our class Sunday morning, Lord willing, this will this point will come together from the first day until now. Okay. In First Corinthians chapter nine, verses thirteen and fourteen. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve the altar partake of the offering of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live through the gospel. Does that have anything to do with Jeff? Does that have anything to do with Eliseo? Ami Restrepo? You know, once again, it may sound like I'm beating a dead horse, but these are the reasons that we can intervene and we can take part in the works that we do and send the money and spend it in the ways that it is done. When the question is asked, where is the Scriptures? There is an answer here. And I think we dare say that a lot of the work that was done in the first century church, a lot of the money that was spent was in the area of what? Benevolence or the needy saints. I mean, a lot. You can't read very many chapters in the book of Acts without it coming up again. We actually surveyed chapter 2, chapter 4. You know, what were they doing? What were the Christians in this time doing? All that believed were together and had all things in common and they sold their possessions and they parted them to all men as every man had um, need. They were taking, they were selling what they had and they were parting. <coughs> all that believed. Then, in Acts chapter 11 and verse 9, then the disciples, each according to his ability. This is the second time I've heard, read this verse and the second time I've made that debility. But excuse me. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to who? Brethren. Brethren. Saints. Saints. Romans chapter 15, once again, we read. But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to who? The saints. And those from Macedonia and Caia to make certain the contribution for the poor among who? The saints. Going back to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. If I want to send benevolence, if I want to send needy, money to the needy, and I want to do it, uh, at least through what we've studied so far, who might should I sh- keep my help to? Who should I help? The saints. Do we have, if, it, if you think about gen- general benevolence or benevolence to the outside, have we read anything? Yes. As an individual, though, when you said me, when I can do it, you can give it to anyone you wanted to. Yes. As long as, you, as, long as you're doing it first. Exactly. And I hope I, and I, hope I didn't uh, state that wrong. You're right. Absolutely. I, I, was, I understood what you were getting at. Okay. And if I, I'm glad you corrected me if I said that, because that's actually two slides away. I don't know if we'll get there tonight. But that's exactly right. Me as a person, and we're going to spend some time on that, me as a person, what I can do is very different than what the church can do. And these are the things, you know, the work of the church, the things that the church are commanded to do. And these are the examples and the apostolic examples that we've seen of things that are done by the churches. But can anyone correct me that I've not found any passage that allows for that general benevolence to where the church is helping those outside the faith, outside the saints? 
if we were to try to do that, uh, there wouldn't be any money for anything else. The world is, is a whole lot bigger than the, the church. The world is bigger than the, than the group known as the saints. And so it would take everything we had, and then that wouldn't even be a drop in the bucket. But uh, he's saying we have the ability, and therefore we need to use that ability to take care of our own. Excellent point. We have the ability, and what we, we can and we should use it to take care to take care of the saints or to take care of our own. Excellent point. It's interesting to me also, uh, it seems to me from what I can read here that there were, uh, I believe you mentioned this already, that there was a, a larger uh, work as far as benevolence is concerned back then than, than is true today. They had a lot more needy people back then than they do today. But the people gave to the point that, uh, you know, they gave uh, beyond their ability. But they took care of the, of the needy saints. They went beyond giving of their uh, an excess. You know, I, I think it's very safe to say the ones who were selling their land, selling their possessions, I think there were many that, that were given beyond their excess. Yes? Uh, verse 45, Acts chapter 2, you have to give, you have to give some explanation. But it says that part of them is all. And let me get over there. Yes. Acts 2.45. And then I'm thinking, what is our contract here? So, um, yes. Um, and then verse 44 is tied right with this all in the yes. same context. Yes, and I was actually backing up to verse 40. That's what I was trying to say is when that section begins. Those, those who believe. Exactly. Um, but all the way from verse 40, you're beginning to talk about those who gladly received, the Christians, the ones who have obeyed. 42, it is they. They're the, that's the day of this context. Very good point. It, that is the day of this context in verse 42 that continues steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine, the fellowship. The breaking of bread, and this is something we'll talk about in the next class. Um, and then verse 44, as you say, and then all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided among all. Anyone had to eat. So the same all that's in 44. Verse 46 is part of it also. Mm-hmm. So continuing daily with one accord. If they continue daily with one accord, it have to be saints. Exactly. Yeah. They were they were a part of that you know that all that's in context there, but that is an excellent excellent point, an excellent question that needs to be addressed. Okay, I want to hit this. This is of the last last of two slides, but this is one of the one of the things I wanted to hit real quick before we get out of here tonight. We'll be right on right on schedule, I think. Not going into the details in First Timothy chapter five, we've studied this several times, but. Could the church take on a widow if a widow was in need? Yes. Yes. And notice I said in need, and, and, and here it's indeed. But what was the difference between, I like the New King James, a really widow, or a widow indeed, versus a widow? What about the younger widow? What was their command to do? They were to marry. They were to marry. They were to continue with life. But what about this widow indeed? The church could take them into the number, correct? They could provide for everything for them. They could t- completely take them in. find it very interesting that this is the only group that I find 
mentioned in the scriptures that the church is told they can they can take them in to you know and, and take care of their full support. Um, but once again, I find it very interesting that what is given here. These are fairly specific details, are they not? One who is left alone, who we look at some things that about their past, but these are some present things. They trust in God. They continue in supplication and prayer night and day. They're over 60. They were the wife of one man. They were well reported of good works. They brought up children. They lodged strangers. They washed the saints' feet. They relieved the afflicted. They were diligent to every good work. Those with us, those that spent their life taking care of others, you know, doing these things, they were well reported for doing these things. That's the ones to take in. But even among them, were there any exceptions given? They couldn't have had children. Those that had children, what about that? Grandchildren. Children, grandchildren, what was to happen? They were taken. Let the church not be charged. That's right. Let them take care of them and let the church not be charged. Now, I ask a question. With these kind of specifications and these kind of qualifications, these kind of details given, can you make the case that God doesn't care? Once again, I have to make the same point that you might make about Noah when he was told what kind of wood he used to build the ark. He was told exactly what specification. If God went to detail to give that much detail, about how the ark should be built. Did God care how it was built? Well, if He went to this much detail to tell us who to take care of, can we make, not make the point from this that God cares how the money is spent? That He cares? That it matters to Him? If one might be taken in that didn't deserve to be? I think we can safely say yes. That if He goes to the trouble, and going back to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, if He goes to the trouble to give us the detail, if we're doing these things, we can say we're doing it in the name of the Lord. But if we get outside of these ramifications, we can no longer say we're doing it in the name of the Lord. He doesn't and, say, well, if you, uh, uh, most of these qualifications, if you, you know, fail to fulfill most of them, it be all right. Maybe she's lacking in this area, that area. It doesn't give that, that license to us. doesn't give that privilege. Exactly. It has to be... All or none. And I think you might even know as well as as most, when emotions come into play, we might tend to want to flex those a little bit. When personal emotions come into play. But they're there and they're, they're good. Yes? Uh, regarding what Ralph said, I agree, except I do have a question about whether or not she had brought her children. I don't know if that would be a disqualification or not. Whether she, you know, she didn't have any children. Let me flip over and one thing was she brought up children. Well, it meant her own children. It could have been that she might have an orphan child that she cared for, brought up. That I wanted to make sure that I had it quoted right. I don't think I I took I think I cut and pasted that. But yeah, I mean to bring up to raise to rear, maybe not her own, but um, I think sister you know, sister Hedrick is an example. I don't think she'd be embarrassed to say. I know she had her own too, but she's raised me that, you know, were was her extended. And we can say that of, of several as well. So unless someone would correct me, I would think that that yes, it would be that they raised, they brought up, they reared, but but not necessarily <coughs> their own. Well, all right, we will pick up next time with individual responsibility. 
And we will, with that, we will launch into examining some of the things that have gone on in the world in the past 30 years and example some things that may be coming. Thanks for your time and attention.